This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Bellman Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk away from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Pataudry for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round, and get fired in with our exclusive discounts. Head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pound of Foster's, a £4 for a pint of Moretti or Dark Fruits, or £5 for a pint of Fierce or a Daiquiri any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds. Red slight of foot there. Hello and welcome along to episode 148 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott. Joining me as always is Gavin J. Baxter. Gav, how are you? Very well, thank you. Raring to go. And Graham Steele, a full compliment today on the ABZ FP side. Graham, how's things? Good, thank you. Slightly distracted, as you've just told me, I can get Goldeneye on the Nintendo Switch. So I now have two screens open. So if I look <laughs> distracted, it's because I am. <laughs> Excellent, lovely stuff. And then completing the lineup this evening... A well-kent daughter-father duo as we're joined by Original 106 FM's very own Beth Wallace. Beth, how are you? I am very well, thank you. Excellent, great stuff. And the legend is Willie Wallace. The Wallaces, Willie, how are you? Welcome to the show. I'm very good, sir. Very good. good Excellent. Delight to have you both with us to go through the misery of part two of the season review so far once again. Um, but before we get on to that, we're going to check in quickly with all the latest news from AB24 this week, we're going to quickly check in with the Quines, see how they got on. Uh, we'll look in with our Lonies and Lone Watch and our young team. And then after the break, as we said, we'll move on to preview the Scottish Cup fourth round tie with Clyde on Friday evening. First up, though, the Dons returning back to training at the back end of the week after a wee break for the first team. No signing news at the time of uh, recording at this moment in time, but we did see Evan Towler recalled from his loan at Montrose, where he's been injured to allow him to continue his recuperation at Cormac Park. And then on Friday, perhaps the surprising news that Liam Harvey was recalled from his loan at Elgin City, making a permanent move to Bucky Thistle. Harvey having certainly been well regarded during his time in the youth set of pathology with just the three sub appearances so for the Dons in his time going back to Bucky, presumably potentially in with a shout of uh, in being the Bucky squad to travel to Parkhead this coming weekend in the Scottish Cup as well. And then also... Jaden Richardson recalled from his loan at Stockport County, but then sent straight back out on loan this time to Colchester United. Gav, how far down League Two do you have to scroll to find Colchester United? If anyone has partaken in the Wrexham documentary in the last couple of seasons, which is fantastic, I must say, you'll learn that you know there's clubs in the National League and League Two that have got huge aspirations, huge ambitions. You've got Wrexham, Notts County, Stockport County, where Jaden's been. Colchester United are not one of those teams. And I believe they currently occupy 21st spot in League Two. So uh, perhaps a little telltale about the levels of our of our fair Jaden. Yeah, I think so. Who else got the fear when they just saw the opening paragraph on Twitter? I was actually surprised he was still our player. I'd forgotten all about him. <laughs> Which is a bit sad for the guy, but there you go. <laughs> It was just when you saw he's been recalled from his loan and you're like, uh, okay, 
is he our new right back? Is that what's happening now? And it's, oh no, okay, no, he's, he's been punted straight back out again. Lovely stuff. So with all that said and done, uh, a quick roundup then of our loanies this week because it's great having to change this every week at the moment. Uh, Kieran Nguyenia at Park Thistle, still no place in the squad for him as he remains injured. Thistle drawing 1-1 with Morton at Capolo in the Championship on Saturday. Alfie Babbage with another 90 minutes under his belt. Grabbing another goal, this time from the penalty spot as Kelty drew one all with Anne Athletic in League One. Finley Marshall, another start for him, and he set up Edinburgh City's second goal as they raced into a shock 2-0 lead against Falkirk before the Bairns pulled back for a draw in League One. Blair McKenzie played the full 90 minutes as 10-man Elgin went down 2-1 to Forfar in League Two. Dylan Lobbin, he came on in the 90th minute for Forfar in that aforementioned 2-1 win over Elgin. Aaron Reed and Adam Emsley. Talk about a debut here for Aaron Reed. Uh, Emsley getting a goal earlier on in this one before Aaron Reed scored a hat trick on his debut for Fern Martin as they hammered Keith by six goals to two in the Highland League. Finley Murray, Finley Murray, Finley Murray, another 90 minutes under his belt as Tura saw off Wick Academy by three goals to one in the Highland League. Kevin Henrati for Bucky, no place in the matchday squad for him as Bucky beat Huntley 3 2 in the Highland League. Interesting one here, I love this. The Huntley, uh, sorry, the Bucky manager got sent off in this one which means he might be suspended for their trip to Parkhead next week talk about <laughs> timing <laughs> Jaden Richardson we just touched him there uh, a first start for him at Colchester tonight he played the full 90 minutes as they drew 1-1 at home with Ash Taylor's Bradford City in League 2 I did spot that the uh, assist for Bradford's goal came from the same flank that Jaden was occupying so perhaps no changes there. And then Anthony Stewart, uh, nothing doing for Big Tony. MK Dons winning 2-1 at Tranmere without him. And of course, Big T still does remain an Aberdeen player, at least for another six months at this moment in time. As we stand, on to the Quines really quickly. Fresh off their win over Buttermere Thistle in the Scottish Cup last week. They faced up against Park Thistle in SWPL1 on Sunday afternoon. Two changes to Clint Lancaster's team from last week. Hannah Innes and Francesca Ogilvie, who came off the bench last week, coming in in place of Amelie Martindale and Emma Lawson. But truth be told, this was a game dominated by the hosts. They took the lead just after nine minutes through Lindsay Taylor. She side-footed home from 14 yards. Thistle then making it two just before half-time. A corner from the Thistle right cleared from the Dons box, but Rosie Slayer firing it back in from long range after the ball took a massive deflection to evade Jennifer Curry in the goal. And in the second half, pretty much the same all over again. Jen Curry in goals, impressive um, and helped keeping the scoreline down. But uh, I was going to say a disappointing result that one, but Thistle, Gav, it's fair to say, have actually been going quite well in SWP1 so far this season. And perhaps not to be unexpected that that was a, a difficult game um, in Glasgow. Yeah, difficult game for sure. I mean, I think I found that in SWPL1, home advantage plays a big part in these kind of results, um, especially when you're Aberdeen or one of the sides travelling to the central belt to play one of the big three or the two Edinburgh sides. Yeah, Park Thistle have been going well, but I guess it's one of those games you'd look at and think that if we're going to have chances to get points on the road, this is maybe one of them. So to come away with a 2-0 defeat, uh, yeah, disappointing for sure. And um, yeah, it's just been a bit of a mixed bag as of late for the women's team. You know, wins here, losses here. New players obviously integrate into the side as well. So I guess it's just one of them where they'll pick themselves up and move on to the next game. Indeed, absolutely. Um, for the young team, they were back in action as well on Friday afternoon. It was a 3-2 defeat for them in Edinburgh as they squandered a 2-0 lead to lose out against Hearts. Goals from Mackie and Wilson had the Dons 2-0 up at the break, but Stevenson, Hutchison, and I will get this wrong, so forgive me. Please wait. Pleasywitschke? Pleasywitschke? 
Anyone want to? Graham? No, no one would have known you were going to get that wrong until you started. Yeah, I know. Plejevic, let's go with that. Securing the points for the Jambos. Next up for the young team, Celtic at Cormac Park on Friday afternoon at three o'clock. So there we go. On to the main event of the evening. Season review part number two. Graham, you decided to miss out on part one last week. So you've got the misery of going through this one this week with us. That's because I think I did them all last year. So mm. I'm smarter than the average bear. <laughs> Is there a pun intended there? <laughs> Not at all. Right. We finished up part one of the mid-season review with uh, Bobby Soggy Biscuit, Jamie Buckin last week after the disappointing 3-2 defeat at home to Pauk in the Conference League. And what better way to dust ourselves off, get back on the hamster wheel than to head down to deepest, darkest Ayrshire for a Sunday lunchtime kickoff live on Sky to face Derek McInnes' Kilmarnock, eh? Yikes. Indeed. Well, despite a, an impressive performance from Dante Bovara in the game against Pauk, he was dropped to make way for Duke as we went back to the 3-5-2 for this one. Former Dons, Marley Watkins and Matty Kennedy in the Killy starting lineup. And Beth, Willie, for me, quite possibly our worst showing of the season, this one, or certainly up there anyway. Uh, Vassell giving Killy the lead just before half-time. Well-deserved lead it was too. There could have been two or three up at the break, probably. Marley Watkins then capitalising on a howler from Gartman to score. This is the one that led my six-year-old son to storm out of the room crying and saying he was never going to watch <laughs> us ever again. Uh, Killy should, could, definitely should have won this one by more than two goals. A really poor one, this one. I think that is probably one of the poorest performances of the season against Killy. We were never really in that game at all, which is a bit disappointing. But I think, and I think it's the manager's come out and said this, consistency... We haven't got that this year. But then the next game against Motherwell, we come out and do really well. And, and you see, and to be fair to them, they seem to bounce back after a bad result, which is good uh, good for them. But against Kelly, it was shocking. And Gartenman trying to dribble out the box, who, who I really rate Gartenman. He's a, he's a very good player. But for him to do that at that time, and Marley Watkins being an old Aberdeen player, I'm sure he was delighted at that. Yeah, it had to be Watkins, did it? And Kennedy wasn't far off himself. I was like, oh, it has to be the ex-Aberdeen players. But I do feel the European games have really knocked us this season when we've had a big performance or a big game a few days beforehand. And then we've came to the Killy game and it's just been a bit of a disaster. I know people say, oh, well, they're professional footballers. They should be able to deal with a couple of games a week. But it's not just the physical Graham. side of things. I think it's the, the mental side of things as well. Because they would have been so high from how well they were doing and then how things went. Um, a lack of training time as a team as well. Because you're taking rest days. And then you're take, you've got two games in a week. Like you've not got the same time to train and things like that. So I know there's arguments to say that while well, they're professional footballers, they should just put up with it. But I do think it really has had an impact this year. I think for me, this one at Killy was one of the first examples again though this season where I was like, he's got a squad, he needs to use it more. Because he only made the one change, I'm pretty sure, from the Pout game going into it. And I think this was the first time where I started to get really worried about Barry's lack of wanting to use his squad. Um, we'd seen it a little bit up until this point, but you could see players were starting to get tired now at this point. And Graham Gav... This one just this one screamed out, you know, we hadn't had that much time to prepare either for it because it was the lunchtime kickoff on the Sunday. It did scream out, make a few changes, try and bring a couple of boys into the team, but f just completely failed to do it. And 
we got exactly what we deserved that afternoon. 100%. And I think this is something that he says in his post-match comments that he needs to start using the squad uh, more, which is all well and good after the fact, saying that. This is also the post-match where Robson talks about how Kilmarnock are too good for us to play through, and that's why we have to go long. I don't know how that justifies it when we play, you know, Livingston at home, but that's ne neither here nor there. Um, watching the highlights, I mean, I've, I've done my revision for tonight. I've gone back and watched all these games we're going to talk about, and I'd forgotten poor bastard. Just, just how poor we were. And, like, you know, I think their centre-back has a good chance in the first half. Vassell scores. Uh, Kennedy has a good sh couple of good shots that make Roos work. And then, of course, yeah, Marley Watkins gets the goal from Garteman. I mean, uh, up to that point, I was in complete agreement with Willie in my view of Garteman, good player. That's the first time where I say then, you know what, fuck this guy. Because that was shambolic <laughs> stuff. And I feel in some way he hasn't quite recovered ever since then mm -hmm. uh, to the same kind of standard. Yeah, just... Even though we'd lost that game with Pauk and it was, you know, such a bitter, bitter pill to swallow the way we lose that game, there was a lot of positives to take from it up until that 70-minute mark. And then you just get rid of all the good feeling with such an inept performance at Rugby Park. I was going to say, Graham, coupled with the Pauk collapse, it was a really bad couple of games. And this one felt like, I think, a, a big tipping point for a lot of the support around the manager, I think. I think so. It's, it's part of the results, maybe the, the lack of a performance. I mean, you can't go from, or how do you go from almost beating Pauk, who turned out to probably be a little bit better than people thought when you look at the way that group finished up, to just not putting in any sort of performance against Kilmarnock. And I know it's, they're always going to be pretty difficult to play against, but I would have backed us to actually give them a game. And what we served up was just so far off what's required. It's, it's difficult to understand how you can go from, uh, it's almost like two different teams. But the irony, the irony is that it wasn't. Um, it was just oh. so disappointing. And I think a relatively, ex well, it was quite an expensively assembled squad. And to not really dip into it, it was also maybe maybe reading too much into it, but it's kind of when the alarm bells come off, you think, well, if he doesn't really trust these guys in and around the fringes, what does that say for the rest of the season? It's kind of, the, this game's sort of like a bit of a microcosm of our season for me, in that you've got Robson not using the squad, using the same old players, the lack of a cohesive strategy uh, going forward. You know, in the highlights that I watched, I don't think we have a chance to speak of, which uh, tells you how the game went. And then you've just got individual errors because, you know, um, as much we can say about the tactics and the way the manager's setting up the team, if a left-footed striker is going down in goal, you show him onto his right foot and Rubazic does the opposite. And when you need to just be sensible and clear your lines, Stefan Carbon takes that extra touch and, you know, lets Watkins in for an easy goal. Yeah, just um, it's not good enough. Yeah, this is the one, Gav, you touched on it there just in the, the post-match as well from Robson where he started to write his very own version of we're going on a bear hunt because we couldn't go through Kilmarnock, we can't go under Kilmarnock, we have to go over Kilmarnock. Um <laughs> I can see a lot of blank faces on the right-hand side of my screen here just now. I've got no idea what we're talking about, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> but as Willie just touched on as well, um, it set us up for a massive week in the worst possible fashion. Because obviously we travelled to Fir Park on the Wednesday with a League Cup semi-final coming up as well the following weekend. And as Willie's right, you know, bizarrely, just when we needed to get a result and a performance, we, we got one. Um, shuffled the pack a little bit in terms of lineup. 
went back to the four five one setup that had served us well in Europe and Ibrox with McGrath and Povara playing a little bit further advanced. And we get our rewards with a really good display. Four goals up inside 74 minutes, a brace from McGrath, one from Devlin, one from Duke. You know, 4 0 up in course and a really poor last 12 or 15 minutes, like sees us lose a couple of really sloppy goals. Um, but Beth Willie, this was much, much more like it. And again, this is one of the big frustrations I think of this season is that you can see there's a good team in this squad. We just haven't seen it often enough. I think that's the thing. Like you look at the team and you go, "This is actually a really good team," and you've seen bits of play, especially when we've been in Europe, and we're like, "My God, we are good," and it just totally disappears. And I don't understand why it disappears. I think the you touched a lot on on the squad, and the the one thing that does worry me about we bought players in the summer and we've not used them, right? And I under and I I thought, well, why are they not rotating these guys? We paid half a million for Papa Guy, right? And we're not using them. I watched them against Fraserburgh. Papa D, Williams uh, and Daddy didn't know what they were doing. And I says, who signed these guys? <laughs> yeah? And, and okay, Daddy, I think's off now. Williams is off. Papa Guy, I was watching for the touchline. The coach was having to tell him, move here, move there. This is a guy we paid half a million pounds for. Now, they've come out and made excuses for him. His problems with his family, and I get that. He wasn't in pre-season and stuff. And he may come to be a good player, but that's why I think he couldn't rotate the squad, because these guys weren't up to it. Yeah. But yes, now, was Robson involved in these signings? I don't know who signs players for the team. Or is it your recruitment officer or what you call them? And and I says, Jesus, half a million and we can't use this guy. Now, half a million is a lot of money for Aberdeen to spend on a player. Not in the big market, but it is for us. And I thought, Jesus. I think yeah. you're saying about family problems and that. I think people underestimate how much that can actually affect a player at times. People think that, you know, everyday life doesn't expect affect you when it comes to football. And it does. And hopefully... Obviously, it's not been great for the guy, but hopefully that all changes and that comes better soon and we see a totally different player. Well, hopefully if his family arrive at some point soon, that'll keep him out of the casino yes. every night until five o'clock. Oh, that was far good. too empathetic for my liking for this show, by the way. <laughs> oh, is it for the positive? Yeah, absolutely, definitely. Um, but yeah, I was just going to say on the comment of recruitment, I mean, it's either Dan Mowbray and he's away or it was Jordan Miles and he's away. So let's yeah, just blame one of them. Flip a coin. Yeah. I, I think a lot of the chat, obviously, was at the summer window, a lot of the work had been done by Mowbray for that. Because I think Miles came in very, very late in the day, and I don't think he could have influenced a lot of what happened. So, And there was a lot of chat we'd been trailing Gay for a while, um, unless we signed the wrong Pappy Gay, which is entirely possible. There are a few out there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just a curious one. We'll probably come back on to talk about Gay later on, I think, a little bit. But Gav Graham, this performance again at, at Fir Park, it was, I mean, Motherwell at this point, we're going through a horrendous run, so we, we, we maybe can't look too far into it. But um, it was just a performance where you're like, there's a, there's a good side in here, and why don't we see a bit of this more often? And, you know, maybe it was because we played with a back four. Who knows? Did we? It was a 4-5-1, yeah. Or, depends on how you looked at it. It was maybe a bit of a Christmas tree as well. It was maybe a bit 3-4-2-1, depending on how you looked at the lineup. 
Gav's away going check now. He's away fact checking. He's like he's fucking Martin. All I was going to say was at that point, obviously Motherwell were not in a great run of form, but they weren't in the sort of free fall that they then, you know, basically went into after that. And whether they were in great form or not, to go away four goals look totally competent based on what you just served up the week before is it's good in that moment, but it's also quite frustrating. He goes to Beth's point. There's a there's a good team in there. We just need to find a way of unlocking more performances like Motherwell in few of the Kilmarnock performances. Um, hang on. I'm on the line. I'm on the lineups. <laughs> Where are we? Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, it was the back five. Garterman, Rubicic, and Jensen are all there. Devlin, McKenzie with the wing backs. See, I yeah. See, I I remember it though as being more the Christmas tree. They were definitely the fullbacks were pushing high up. Yeah. For sure, but um, you know it's Might still uh, fundamentally. I mean, you've got a number two and a number three on the pitch. It's a five at the back. It's just what happens when you have brothers on the show. Yeah, the <laughs> I have with my brothers, admittedly, but they're not on this. So no, indeed, indeed. it'll be difficult for them to be on this, given they don't support Aberdeen. It'll be hard. Um, anyway, after that one, next up, Hibs in the League Cup semi. Truth be told, this was another pretty poor performance from us for a good seventy-five minutes. Hibs having a goal from Martin Boyle ruled out for offside, um, which is great because now my son understands what the offside rule is. Um, <laughs> and he's a big fan of VAR off the back of this as well. Um, then Jack McKenzie had a moment of madness. Gav, I don't know if you've read Jack McKenzie's feature on the AFC website this week about his year in review and what happened to him in this couple of minutes. I've not yet. Shall I, yeah. shall I do that? Go and have a wee read of it and see if it changes your view of Jack McKenzie. Um, does he explain this moment of, let's call it, lunacy, to be fair? He does talk about it. Yeah, he does. Okay. Bojan Miofsky, though, let's talk in a positive manner. The hero racing onto a fine through ball by Dante Povara. Povara with enough time to bless himself before Miofsky slotted past Marshall. Miofsky could, should have had a second five minutes later, but decided this was the time to showboat and try to chip Marshall when he should have just put his laces through it. But kept Hibs at bay in the main. Um, we kind of were quite comfortable, it's fair to say, for that last 10 minutes. See out the win, booking a trip back to Hamden for a first cup final since 2018. Graham, is fortunate the word for this one? I think so. We weren't really in that game, were we? And without VAR... That might have been that. Um, yeah, I think it was a bit of a, well, it's kind of a, what's becoming a classic Robson performance. We're not really in a game and you maybe get away with their a fortunate call, some woeful finishing. And then because you got Miofsky, there's always there's always a chance that something will happen. But it's almost like the strategy is this, just to ride it out and hope that that moment comes. And that's kind of how it felt that that game went. And it worked in our favour it's a great finish, and you're right, you should have had two, and we should have been out of sight right at the death. But there wasn't a, there wasn't a great deal to actually enjoy as a spectator, and I think it's probably fair to say Hibs will be kicking themselves at the you know the end of the end of the game. What was your man? Was it was it Yuan? Basically, looked like he's he'd frozen yeah. in disbelief. <laughs> Factory reset at the end. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Beth Willett, I mean, this is a game again. I mean, it's maybe this is the best time to talk about him. Bojan Miofsky, just um, a real shining light so far this season once again. For me, it feels like he's come on leaps and bounds this season as well compared to the player we saw last year, which was already a very good finisher. Um, but that just goes to show in this league at this level just how critical it is to have a player who can take these sort of chances. It's pretty much, okay, he has a, he has a clear-cut chance a couple minutes later, but 
chances are he got one clear cut chance in this game, and what a finish it is. Oh, I think he, he's actually, and okay, Aberdeen's a great team, but if he was playing on a higher level, he would score so many goals because he would get chances that we don't often create for him, and he, he, he did so well in that game. And, and you're right, as you were spe- speaking earlier, we were struggling in that game, and we got a break. Mackenzie was a bit silly what he'd done, but we did get a break, and you thought, when we went to 10 men, that's it, Goose, we're not going to get out here. But eh, Mirovsky took a great chance. He should have scored. He tried to dink the second one, which maybe he should have put his laces through. But this season, some of his chances he's taken is just super finishing. Yeah. Super finishing. The sad thing this year, Dukes fell off, where he was the man last year creating super goals and great chances. He sort of fell away, and I don't know quite the reason for that. Um, but Miofsky, he's a, he's a super... If he gets a chance, he'll score. He, he's done so well, and he's the main man. And hopefully we don't lose him in the window. Cause, but it's going to take a lot of money to take him away, because they're banter about Celtic and Rangers are interested in him, but they're not going to pay $5 million for Miofsky, and that's what it's going to take to take him away. And you understand, if Aberdeen gets offered five million, they're maybe going to have to take that. But it's not going to come for Celtic or Rangers. They're not going to pay that for them, you know? Weirdly, mm. although we lost a man, it actually almost made us mm. on the day. It was, in a weird way, the best thing that could happen. Mm. It g the team up and it was just a total reset. And it was silly by Mackenzie. I guess it's just experience and learning not to lose the head. So easy going forward. But... If he doesn't lose the head, do we get the goal? Do we get go through it? You would never know. But yeah, it definitely made us. And in many games this year, Miofsky's just been the touch class to make the difference. Yeah, I was going to say that is exactly what it is. You know, Hibs have chance after chance after chance, often falling to the likes of Yuan or the boy Tavares, and they just can't take it. We are in a way lucky um, that Boyle's the one that runs onto the the ball over the top because if Venta gets it who could have easily gotten it then it's a different story um so that was concerning just how easy it was for Hibs to score uh thankfully ruled out and then you know in it watching that game on tv I just you watch it with that feeling of even though we have gone down to 10 men we are going to get one opportunity in this game and luckily for us it fell to the the man that we want to chances to fall to I mean you know I've said it before, if you put him in the team with Pete Johnny Hayes and Pete Nelm again, Boyomiovsky's in the hundreds by now this season. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fair point, though, because as a team, we don't create a lot of chances this season. You know, we've, I think, from memory, Cambridge game we talked about prior to the winter break, but we were really low down the league in terms of big chances that we create across the across the league. We don't create very much. So the amount of goals that we obviously actually scored in a team that doesn't create chances is is quite frankly phenomenal. Um a big shout as well I thought on this one. Danny Povara came off the bench here. I, I can't remember if he came off the bench in the aftermath of McKenzie's sending off. Um or if he was already on the pitch prior to that. But it is his through ball that um sets Miofsky away. It's his divine intervention as well that uh, or his request for divine intervention that possibly just helps us out a little bit as well. Um Povara's an interesting guy this season. Um, we've talked about it a lot, Graham, so far about a lot of our big performances this season have come with Povara and the team. Um, 
maybe a few of us were a little bit surprised to see him being granted a three-year contract extension earlier in the season. But right now, it looks like a pretty decent piece of business. I think his loan spell back in the States has done him a lot of good, whether that's just give him a shot on the arm of the conference, because I guess he was, well, it looked like he was playing at a level slightly below him, because he looked to be playing well every week, and he was getting regular game time, and since he's come back, he's maybe not, I don't think I'd, I don't think I'd be saying this, but he's probably not featured as much as I would have liked him to. Um, you know, first time around when he arrived, obviously, new country, different style, etc., he's got to find his feet, but you feel like he had all the attributes, he's quite a big guy, which is probably what you need in that role. He looked like he was quick enough, he looked like he was decent enough on the ball, but it wasn't really happening for him. But since he's come back, I think he's been he's been good. He's had some really good games, and I think you're right. In some of the bigger games, uh, he's you know he's been brought in to play, and that that's obviously a sign that management trusts him. But I guess presumably a sign his teammates can rely on him as well. So that's uh, that says quite a lot about him. So I think there's there's definitely more to come from him. It'd be good to see him start to put a run of games together because we only really see him sporadically is how it feels and even then I can't think of many maybe one two games where he's actually completed 90 mm-hmm. um, so yeah I think he's he's starting to look like the player we thought we were getting obviously when we signed him I think he went straight into surgery didn't we so we didn't really see much of him yeah. for a wee while but um, three years we'll see if that was a good investment but so far uh, I think we're probably happier that he's our player than not I think as well he's been part of big moments like that moment in the semi-final when we scored away to Frankfurt. That was partly him as well. And I don't think people have expected those big moments from him when they've came. Um, and it's a bit of a cringe phrase to say, but it's they do say it. He's one for the future almost. Yeah, I think there's a lot more to come. I think there's probably also, I'm probably guilty of it, a little bit of snobbery, like, oh, he's come from America. What sort of level is that? He's come through the college system. And obviously they're capable of producing decent players, but maybe not necessarily having come to this league. So he probably has to battle that a little bit as well. And he was, you know, he obviously got a bit of hype when we signed him. But so far, it does look like he's, you know, it's been good bit of business to get him on a contract. Um, and let's just hope we see probably more of him in the second half. I think for me, he he's certainly better than he was last year. But I think there's times in the game he disappears. He does some really good stuff and then you don't see him for ages. And I think he's got to improve on that. If you're playing in midfield in the Scottish Premier, you've got to be at the game all the time. And I think he drifts out the game at times and then he'll pass a lovely through ball. We need more um, a 90-minute player rather than a bit player. And I think he is that as well. As Beth says... The goal he scored in Frankfurt was superb. The pass he put through from Mioski. So he does bits in a game. But for me, he's not quite the full player yet. That may come with experience. It's one of these ones, isn't it? Cup semi-final, you feel a little bit churlish bemoaning the performance a little bit when you've actually got through the game. Because ultimately, in semi-finals, that's all that really matters a lot of the time. Um, but kind of moving on from that, I return to Europe straight after that. Perhaps... Arguably, I think we all thought the Frankfurt game was going to be the toughest test we faced, but with the way the group actually panned out, Pauk away was probably the toughest group game that we faced. Uh, Pauk having won all three of their fixtures in the group coming into this one, but we acquitted ourselves really well in Thessaloniki, taking the lead through Duke, who led the line in that 5-4-1 formation before Pauk equalised through Tyson, 
took the lead via Samata kind of earlier in the second half, and that's when I thought this is going to be a typical Scottish team in Europe collapse, despite a brave performance. But upstep Jamie McGrath with an absolutely wonderful knuckleball free kick to level things up. Aberdeen leaving Greece with a point. We're the only side, as it turns out, to deny Pauk taking maximum points in the group. This was, once again, the kind of proper Jekyll and Hyde nature of our season so far. This was a really, really good performance on the European stage, and you could even put it down as being one of the finest performances in Europe by a Scottish side in, in recent times. I, uh, I was working at the radio just before this game had started, so I was watching it on my phone, and uh, was on Little John Street waiting for a lift, and I accidentally nearly punched a random boy in the face when Duke's goal went in. <laughs> so I was looking at my phone and just like, you know, you raise your fist in the air and these two guys went past and they absolutely pooped their pants as I nearly <laughs> smashed them in the face. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And they're like, Aberdeen score. I was like, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's my memory of that game. Um <laughs> That was a weird, a bit of a weird one because like going into the game, then to see the lineup and to see Duke leading the line in that kind of four or five, sorry, a five for one formation that we've all had our doubts about whether Duke can lead the line by himself. And it's kind of one of those where you you attract players like Boyamioski to Aberdeen by giving them the chance to go and play in Europe in these big games and to take him out felt a bit of a... Yeah, a bit of a strange one, given how well he'd been doing lately as well. Uh, but Duke, this is probably one of his best games of the season. Um, you know, did we have a lot of the ball? Not necessarily. But what he did with it, uh, his endeavour, his work was there all night. And the goal itself is the touch, the turn and the finish is incredible. It's prime Duke. To get 1-0 up in, in, in Greece was, you know, incredible to then... It's a, one of those games where you're watching Pauk in possession, no real danger, and then Rubazic steps out, and before you know it, there's an overload, and Ruby's trying to play catch-up, and then he gets in the back of the box and then doesn't actually mark the guy who he's been chasing the whole time, who then slots it away to make it 1-1. Bad, bad second goal for Pauk. You know, that set-piece, the cross-ball two free headers and at that point it feels like it's gonna be a fairly familiar tale and when Jamie McGrath steps up in the Ronaldo pose <laughs> about to hit a free kick from the best part of 35 yards I'm just like this guy does not have this in his oh yeah he does <laughs> that is amazing and to know on the sidelines you know Reese Williams and Ash um, Angus McDonald are giving it to the Pouk fans oh Chef's kiss. <laughs> I think, like Gavin, I went back through all the highlights of the game for my sins. And I think it was at this point when I was going through all the games, I really appreciated actually what McGrath has brought to the team this year. Like, I've liked him and thought he was really good. But going back, I've went, oh, actually, he's maybe even better than I've thought he is, seeing all the ways he's contributed over the second half this Yeah, Gav, it's fair to say you've just been wrong on McGrath. Uh, was this the game that McGrath board got put in the bin? I can't remember. No, I think this is when he give, takes a pretty unassailable lead. Yeah, I think so. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, he's been uh, he's been very, very good. By and yeah. large, I have certainly been wrong on him. Again, though, when it goes back to talk about Graham, you know, Willie, we've, we've, we spoke about this a lot on the show up until now about with the likes of McGrath, with the likes of Duke, with the likes of Miofsky, you know, Sokler's in around there as well. We actually have a Clarkson. Um, we've got some really, really good attacking threats in the squad. 
and it's just that thing about let them go and flourish and express themselves in that area rather than try to shoehorn McGrath, for example, into a, a midfield three alongside Clarkson and Shinney. Let him just play up further up the park, you know, coming off a flank if needs be. Um, this also felt like a... McGrath, I think, had impressed in a number of performances, but this felt like a real... Coming of age is a really stupid way of putting it, but it felt like it was a time where I think the Aberdeen support really embraced McGrath because there had always been that little doubt about him because of the fact he'd turned us down a couple of times before. This felt like the moment where a lot of Aberdeen fans were like, okay, I, I'm on board with this guy now. Yeah, I think definitely. I, I remember him when he was at St Mirren. He was a really good player for them. He went down south and maybe he, it's no work for him then. But I think he, as more games go on now, you can see he's, he, he's really a great player. Uh, and he's done well. I like him. I think he's he's a he's a touch. He's got a, he's got good feet on him. He can score a goal, and I think he's going to be a really good player for us. I think his heart is in it, and his work rate is totally commendable as well. That's something that I really like in a player, and you can just totally see it in him. His his work off the ball has surprised me. That was something I didn't think was there, uh, based on what I remembered from Sitman and then being part of a pretty lightweight Dundee United team. Uh, much like Dante Pulvan, I think that Europe has been sort of the coming of age of him. Um, those performances in Frankfurt, uh, in an unfamiliar position perhaps, in Pauk, uh, at home in certain games as well. Yeah, he's shown, again, I guess why he's an international player as well. Got to remember that. He plays for Ireland. And yeah, he's for being maybe one of the more skeptically looked at players that we brought in in the summer for me he's the standout piece of business after once again you know we've touched on it already just in the, the the brief time we've been talking already about this part of the season review after such a decent performance in europe what came the following sunday was nothing short of abysmal a 6-0 defeat at parkhead we can see typically within eight minutes before kyogo makes it two on 60 minutes palmer makes sure the points for celtic with a 77th minute penalty before the collapse of all collapses and added time Turnbull and then a brace from O in stoppage time sees us leave the East End of Glasgow on the back end of another heavy, heavy defeat. Um, this was just such an odd game all over again. It's very you know, typical of us in, in Celtic Park in recent seasons where despite the fact we we set up to not concede, we inevitably concede within the opening 10 minutes and then we've got no way of getting back into these games at all. It's an all-too-regular occurrence, isn't it? I would just like to read a little excerpt from the Jack McKenzie interview, if I may. Oh, you're on there now. Right, okay, yeah, sorry. So uh, he's talking about the penalty in Frankfurt, which, if we need any reminding, McKenzie conceded. <laughs> because that's where I think the standard caught me out a wee bit in terms of the speed of the players you're coming up against. He made that darting run in 99 times out of 100 in the SPFL. I get there first. <laughs> So Jack McKenzie concedes a penalty at Parkhead, so this must have been the one other time. Um, just, I mean, yeah, I mean, we're we're talking. I remember going into that game talking about how we found this system, the five four one, which allows us to set up and be very solid against good teams, like uh, like Frankfurt, like uh, Pauk. We'd beaten Rangers at Ibrox playing that way. So you know, you know, it's going to be a hard test because Celtic are the best team in the country, but. Fingers crossed. And coming off the back of such a good performance in Greece, we can carry that into the league. And even if we you know, lose 1-0 to 
two one whatever it is you can show up and put in a performance you can take positives out of and this was just you know the absolute opposite and this is the story of the season in many ways where it's a game or two or a game or three where you look think there's good stuff within this team there's a lot to be positive about and then you just get nonsense like this uh the the four goals we concede in the last what 15 20 minutes are just embarrassing Graham, you were saying before Gav interrupted you by wanting to read from the Jack McKenzie autobiography. I was going to say there seems to be just some sort of club mental block when it comes to playing Celtic in Glasgow because we've taken far too many shellackings, I think you said, over the last few seasons, not just necessarily under Robson. And it's, I don't really know I don't really know what it is because I don't think there are they're not as formidable as they have been in seasons past, you know, so that Rogers first time round, where it didn't really matter what anyone tried to do against them, they would, you know, they would, they were good. I, I don't think they're. I don't think you see them stumbling in the league when they've actually lost games yeah. this season. Teams which is have unusual. gone to Parkhead and taken points. Got, yeah. Hearts beat them. St Johnson they got a nil nil. Um, did Ross County? No, I think Ross County came, did okay so against them. Teams but have got had beat, results yeah. off them, and we, I don't understand how we go down and just collapse and it's just um it's woeful and I, I, I don't that's not just the manager there's something fundamentally wrong there with the management and a group of players that you can put in a performance of that i mean a professional team six nil that shouldn't be happening what did you make of calorus's effort for the first goal You've got to be at the airport for half nine, so maybe just <laughs> scoot on past that. I learned in that moment why that guy stays very much rooted to his line. True, true. Um, off the back of that, as an international break, maybe coming at the right time for us, but all it did was stoke conspiracy theories, certainly in the govern area um, and on national media, not looking at anyone in particular except for you, Chris Boyd, that the Dons lied down to Celtic and that we'd have put up a much better fist of it. Next time out, um, when Sevco arrived at Pataudry in late November, I mean, Beth, Willie, I, I got talked about this with Sky at the time. Is there anything in this, do you think? Or is it just simply a case of, A, Celtic are a better team than Rangers are, one. And truth be told, generally speaking, our record at Ibrox has been horrendous for 35 years. We've won, our, you know, we obviously won there early in the season. Um, it just so happens that we tend to, maybe we de- tend to play a little bit better when Rangers come to Pataudry. I mean, enough said about Chris Boyd. He's a dick. (laughs) 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 Even even when he's reporting on English games or whatever, he just speaks a lot of drivel. But surprising to me, he's well in with Sky Sports for whatever reason. I don't know. And they gave him a lot of work, but that's fine. But I don't get his theory that we raised our game against Rangers. There is the history with Aberdeen and Rangers. We all know that. It goes back a lot of years. But I don't think we lie doing to Celtic and raise our game to Rangers. It, it, it's just rubbish. Each game's taken as it happens. Um, and I think I think you made a good point there. Celtic are a better team than Rangers at the moment. Yeah? And, and you're always going to be up against it against Celtic. The difficulty, I think, we had in that 6-0... And it's always the way when you're playing better teams, you kind of lose early goals because you're out the game before you start. And we lost two early goals and we lost four late goals. But you're up against it and the heads go down and that's just... And they're not as good as they were. No, they're not. But 
<clears throat> and I would like to see them at Petaudry again when we get them up here and see how we can fare. Because yeah. I think uh, we can do a decent against them when we were on our game. That day we weren't on our game. We just sat after them all the time. You, you cannot allow a team like Celtic all the ball and think you'll manage that for 90 minutes. It just doesn't work. It, they're going to come at you and come at you. And we, we just weren't able to deal with that that day. I think a lot of it was down to the attitude because they just gave up after a couple of goals went in and that's the last thing you can do in those kind of games. When it comes to the Rangers thing, <coughs> if I was an Aberdeen player, I'd rather beat Rangers than Celtic purely because of the rivalry. But at the end of the day, that's not going to affect the score like Chris Boyd's trying to suggest it is. That's us talking as Aberdeeners. I don't think Slobodan Rubicic or Stefan Gartman view things in that way, per se, from their limited know. time. Like he probably hates Rangers. <laughs> yeah, Are we forgetting what he did to you, Kyogo, that day? <laughs> <laughs> you know. um, I think I think best right through as far as the attitude goes. I mean, if it sounds like I'm picking on Kelrus, it's because I am. The fourth goal that Turnbull, or is it the third goal that Turnbull scores? Fourth where he looks like he's going to shoot it to the corner and then he takes it inside. Kelrus's yeah. internal monologue is, I could probably save that if I wanted to. I think we and, I, and I've often said to Beth that he's a good reaction keeper save. He will not come off his line. And there's times he has to come off and help his defence out and win the ball. It's like uh, almost if he's got too much time to think about it, he panics. And yeah. I know a lot of yeah. we see a lot of footballers do that if they've got no time they go whoosh whoosh and do something ace and then if they've got all this time then it's a disaster. And the other thing he's terrible is his kicking. Which has been He's shocking. Very good with his feet, thank you very much. But interestingly, I thought he was better at his kicking in the final when Rangers had actually noticed that's his weak point and they'd put a lot of pressure on him. But it almost worked in his favour. Because he didn't have to think about it. Yeah. Who'd have thunk it from Cross Ferratu? Um, that game against Rangers was a, a bit of an odd one, I thought. You know, we had a decent opening. Sokler misses a really great opportunity. We'd gone with Sokler and Miofsky up top um, in the 3-5-2. He, he misses a glorious chance to put us ahead before Miofsky does just that with what's a, almost a carbon copy um, of the Sokler chance. 11 minutes in, we're a goal up. First half was then much of a muchness. Nothing really happened. Second half, I was kind of a bit disappointed in our performance. Second half, we just sat in, sat in, sat in. It felt like there was going to be that inevitable moment that Rangers were going to get something. But even then, you kind of think, we've probably just about seen this through because they were kind of starting to run out of ideas. And then we get the classic VAR decision to award a penalty kick to Rangers. Gartenman penalised for a tug on Goldson. Taverninger scores a penalty kick. Uh, Points are shared. A really frustrating performance again, this one, because from my perspective, I thought we really failed to take the game to Rangers in that second half. Um... But all eyes were on that penalty kick award in the last minute. We've all seen this game, haven't we? Against either side of the old firm where you need to... The big thing in these games for me, you have to score first. And we do that. And we've got a bit of a intense pressing game on them. Uh, we're testing them when they're in possession. And we've got the out ball with Sokler and, and Boyemiowski. I mean, I think Sokler should do better for sure. And I don't think he realizes how much time he's got. You could take the ball in a bit closer to Butland and then shoot. But I don't think much would have changed in the way the game went. Like if we'd scored then, 
then we'd revert to what we do, which is very much let Rangers have the ball. They'll create chance after chance after chance and we'll try and defend our box and Roos will have to make saves and we'll have to ride our luck a little bit. Um, so, you know, a lot of good stuff in terms of getting into the lead. And then it's just that familiar tale and, you know, we find it in the final again and Graham's talked about this before where you just, it's inevitable what is going to happen. Um, ignoring the fact that, you know, it's a, a dodgy VAR call, for instance, that's happened time and time again ever since in many, many games in the SPFL. I think, though, like, and we've got VAR now and it's here to stay. You've got to change your game now. You can't be pulling at people's shirts and think you'll get away with it because there's cameras watching all the time, especially in these scenarios. So it's it's harsh, but at the same time, you've got to change your game now that VAR was in place. You can't do these things anymore. I think I'd have a lot more sympathy with that view if it felt like every single tug in the box was treated the same. Yeah, I get what you're saying. That's the biggest challenge I have with that. Um, but and, and we'll come and talk about an incident which is very, very similar against the same team in a few weeks' time. Um, but this one, yeah, I don't know. I just felt a bit frustrated by the performance second half in particular here because against a team like Rangers when you have got the goal up, you are maybe inviting them on a little bit. Um, but we didn't really show anything on the break at all second half either. It just felt inevitable something was going to happen. Um, and in a weird way, Graham, we were maybe fortunate to get with this one with a point at the end. I think we were, but some of that's our own doing. Like you say, if we'd, if we'd approached the second half the way we approached the first half, okay, you may be giving them more opportunities because you're trying to attack them. But there's nothing to say that you couldn't have scored them again, uh, scored another one, in which case it's a totally different complexion to the game. This kind of getting ahead and then basically just... The, the more you invite anyone on and the more you're allowing crosses into the box, it, percentages are they're going to score or someone's going to make a mistake or someone's going to look at a video clip and decide that they need to interfere. You know, you, you bring it on yourself to a certain extent and I think that's probably what annoyed me more about that game was that we'd been decent in the first half yes we'd ridden our luck but you're probably going to have to do that and then to just basically sit in for 45 minutes and invite them on is just dangerous it doesn't really matter who you're playing to be honest I think if we'd had a bit more I don't know belief or confidence in ourselves that we can we can match them uh, and and take the game to them for another 45 I think the outcome could have been different Little time though to dwell on that one the Red Army heading for Helsinki the following Thursday um, does sound like a historical reference actually now I think about it but never mind despite Barry Robson's pre-match comments it ended up being a heavily rotated side that took to the field in snowy conditions in the Finnish capital our first start for the aforementioned Papi Habib Gay as he led the line with Duke a first start as well for Jack Millen and Angus McDonald's back in the side. The only surprise here was that Oradadia didn't get his Don's <laughs> bow in this one, to be quite honest. Um, shocker of a start, 2-0 down inside 33 minutes, but then an Angus McDonald, thunder bastard in a pair of Skechers, pulls a goal back just before halftime, and then with snowplows and tractors taking to the field in the second half to help clear the pitch, snowballs ahoy, Duke with an equaliser just before the hour mark, we could, we should have won this one late on. We had chances to do so. Another frustrating evening in Europe as this European campaign just slipped away into that what could have been territory, it's probably fair to say, Beth. 
Yeah, and I guess it's like what we've mentioned already. We've got a good team there that can do some amazing stuff, but it's just not quite there yet. It's not quite consistent enough. Um, I think if you went to the start of the season and you told us what our results were going to be in Europe, you'd have probably been pretty happy with the results. But then when it's came to the games, you've almost you've wanted more. You've you've felt greedy. Um, you've almost felt hard done by in some situations as well. But had I known beforehand that was going to be the goals, I would have been like, yeah, that's amazing. Like, we've scored in every game. Um, but again, like I'm saying, it's hard ones to take. I think the, the Helsinki game, in my view, was similar to a lot of games we've played this year. When we seemed to be better in the second half. Because in Helsinki, we were horrendous in the first half. Now, okay, probably if the game wasn't a European game, it would have been called off because the, the, yeah. the snow and the weather was horrendous. And hey, the snowplows did a great job at half time. <laughs> but, and I've seen that in a few games. Now, I don't know if they're told, we'll sit in and see what happens and then we'll go for it second half. Because the second half was totally opposite the first half. And as you say, we could have won the game in the, or maybe should have won the game in the end. I mean, McDonald's goal must be goal of the season. It was amazing. He just took it and bluttered it, and it was a great goal. And you wouldn't expect that for him as a centre-half. And and I've seen that in a lot of games. Sit in a bit, see how the game pans out, and then we'll go for it in the second half. Whereas maybe you should be going for it in 90 minutes, you know? Maybe Barry gives yeah. an incredible halftime talk. Well, there's something possible. Yeah. <laughs> There'll be some feral lug ripping, I imagine, going on at halftime. Um, uh, Graham, Gav, you know, we were fortunate enough to have made the trip to Helsinki. Great trip all around the, 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 the couple of days we had there. Um, highlight of the trip? Let's not talk about the football because it was generally garbage. Easily Gavin vacating a few hours worth of Guinness outside the Irish oh, yes. bar. That was class. <laughs> yes. Anyway, when I say class, um, I don't mean class at all. Moving on, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> I shan't forget reading Robson's comments in the morning about the game, about how it's, even though, you know, we can't qualify anymore, we're bringing, what, 1,500 people to the ground, we respect the fans, we respect the occasion, we're going out here to win. And being sat in the pub, reading the team sheet, and just wondering where Ross Duan is in it, I could not fathom the decision to put out the team that he put out, which was not even a reserve team in some respects. Delighted to see Angus all play, because Angus, for me, is still by a country mile our best centre-back and has been underplayed to a criminal level. But, I mean, Jack Milne, the poor kid, you know, spends all of his time in his uh, youth as a centre midfielder. Jim Goodman comes along, sees how tall he is and says, right, we're going to make you a centre-back, but we're never going to play you, so good luck learning that position. And then Robson comes along and says, so you're going to get your first team debut. Uh, by the way, can you play right wing back? Nope. Well, there it is. Have at it, mate. Um, and you know what? I've seen some shambolic defending at goals and at fives on a Thursday night playing with you boys. But Rubizic, Mainly by you, Gav, to be fair, but never mind, carry on. But Rubizic, again, goes for the ball, gets absolutely nowhere near it, and that leads to the first goal. And I think Richard Jensen tries the famous Gary Scott back heel tackle 
and don't has the try same, it unless you can master it. And has like. the same level of success as Gary typically does. That was shocking. Um, and at that point, you're just thinking, I've travelled quite some distance. It is very, very cold in Finland. I'm drinking a beer slushy at the moment because there's just ice in the beer. We had to spend about 45 minutes getting into the, into the ground <laughs> because it was like one turnstile open for all of us. And Pappy Habib Gabes is playing up front. And at that point, I'm just thinking like, Robson, Agnew, Peter Levin, Craig Sapson, Cormac, Gunn, Burrows, fuck these guys. <laughs> <laughs> and then Angus Minol pops up and we are in the perfect position to see as soon yeah. as that ball leaves his foot, this is going nowhere other than the top corner. And that just brought us back to life. And like Willie says, in the second half, you're sat there, well, stood there, shivering, thinking when Duke gets the equaliser, only one team's going to go on and win this game. And we should have done. We had plenty of opportunities to score, even though I know they have a couple of chances as well, but we were by far and away the better team. So it's a really, it was a really bittersweet feeling at the end of the game of like, I'm happy, I'm proud that we've come back and taken a draw off the Finnish champions, got another point in Europe. But like Bess says, we should have won. It's maybe been greedy to an extent, but we were on that night, and I felt it told us we were a better team than Helsinki. I should have had more points on the table than we than we did. We should have had six points out of the two Helsinki games, no question. Mm. On HJK, actually, I don't know if you guys spotted this this week, but it's all gone a little bit hearts at HJK Helsinki this week because they've appointed a new manager or new head coach. It turns out he doesn't have his pro license. So <laughs> he's had to be downgraded to assistant coach and some other bloke has taken charge um, for the interim period. So... Maybe, who knows, maybe the, the next Stephen Naismith in Finnish football there. Um, <clears throat> after that one, because we'll come on to talk a little bit more about just the way that the European campaign panned out after we talk about the Frankfurt game. Um, after we come back from Europe, quickfire doubleheader on league duty. First up, a trip to Easter Road. And again, this was a really weird game of football from an Aberdeen perspective, because we actually put in a fairly decent performance um, here. But we come away... With a 2-0 defeat, Bojamiowski misses a barrel load of chances in this one. Misses a penalty as well to boot. This is very much Boyan having an off day. Goals from Vente and Fish see the Leith side take the points. Another defeat in the capital. Edinburgh's not a happy hunting ground for us at this very moment in time. Another set of points drop post-Europe. A really weird game all around this one, but the one thing you can definitely say is that the goals we concede are absolutely criminal. Yeah, I have to agree. Um, again, going through the highlights, I think this was the point that I kind of realised there's been quite a few mistakes from Rudy um, through the season. Um, I, I, again, I think he does quite a good bit of stuff sometimes, but he has a mistake in him and those mistakes are seeming to be crucial. And I think this was maybe not far off the point where he got dropped for a few games, wasn't making it in the squad. Um, I think maybe this is the point that Robson has seen the same thing that I did. Um, but yeah, it was a disappointing game defensive-wise. You do have to say that David Marshall had a very good game as well, though there were some incredible saves pulled off by him. I think the big frustration for me in this one is that the, the opening goal for Vente is basically a carbon copy of the goal Boyle scores that gets ruled out in the League Cup semi-final. It's a long ball over the top. There's nothing fancy about it. We just don't recognise it, don't react to it. Beth, you're right, it's Ruby, unfortunately, who's at fault for this one. And we can talk about Ruby's a little bit later on as well. But 
Gav, it's, it's that thing with Ruby is that he does like 90% of things quite well in a game, 95% of things quite well sometimes, but there's just that one mistake and it seems that every time he makes that mistake, it's a, a crucial one. I feel your percentages are very generous there. Well, they might be, but hey, let's go with it. Uh, yeah, it, it feels like, you know, there were a number of instances in the game at Hamden as well where he overcommits and, you know, we we get away with it in that team. Against Tibbs Easter Road, yeah, it's too pretty. I mean, the first goal is bad. Um, it's something he should be dealing with all day. It's what surely what we brought him here to do. And he just gets lost underneath the ball, and it's as easy as that. And what's equally frustrating, annoying, is that, you know, Boyle just lays the ball into Venta, and no one's bothering to track him either. Um, I think Leighton Clarkson's the one trying to do it, when Stefan Gartman is casually just strolling back. We talked earlier about how, you know, if you get the ball to Boyamiowski, he'll score goals for you. This is just one of those days where he could have had four, I think, four very uh, good chances and a combination of, you know, just the finishing not quite being there and David Marshall having one of the games of his of his season probably denies us. So it's not one of those games where we've had many of this year where it's two defensive mistakes and little in the way of chances created. It's in fact the opposite i think that's what robson comes out and says afterwards is how unlucky we were that day uh but for me you can't give away goals that easily and complain talking about rubicic from set pieces likewise he should be there dominating winning headers for the second goal he's he's got no idea where the ball nor his man are and he just looks a little bit hopeless and at that point, I was already frustrated because for me, we've got a very, very good centre-back on our bench who just never plays. Meanwhile, Rubicic is getting chance after chance after chance. <laughs> this is domestic, not uh, not continental, oh, thank you. Sorry. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, just yeah, a bad a bad day at the office. It does make you question, why is McDonald not getting a game? I, th- I think the reason they've signed Rubicic or they hate to go with their signings and that's what happens in football. I think if they can get into the guy just to play an out-and-out centre-half, I think he'll be OK. If he starts spreading the ball about and that sort of stuff, that's not his game. And that's where he gets caught out. And if they play him on the right of a back three, he struggles because the boy will go past him and he's not got the legs. He has to be an out-and-out centre-half. And I think it's because he was a new signing. I don't know what he cost or whatever. They have to use the guy. And you're right, McDonald is a very good player. And last season, him and Pollock were amazing for us. But I've even seen in games when he has played, they take him off about 75, 80 minutes. I don't know if he's no got the legs or whatever, or whatever they do that for. Because he's not had a bad game. And they flip him off late in the game. But I think if Rubicic can get drilled into centre-half, win the ball and clear it, that I think he's good at, he'll be good at that. When they ask him to play it for the back, then that's a wee bit more difficult for him. Bizarrely, it feels like the best thing for Ruby would be to be played alongside Angus MacDonald. I have an experienced head alongside him who can just talk him through that, because I think I've said it a number of times already on the show, I feel that Matty Pollock was, at his core, a very similar kind of player to Rubicic in the sense of, when he arrived at Aberdeen, if you think back to the first couple of games Pollock played at Aberdeen, he was a little bit rash sometimes, and he did try and win things that he couldn't win. And then slowly but surely McDonald started talking him through games, and then we got to see Pollock be what he was. 
and that's the most frustrating thing as well I think is that you've got a guy there who's got a, a track record we've shown it by helping a young player come through and we're not playing him and the only thing I would say is if I think a Ruby McDonald centre half pairing would be quite possibly the slowest in the top flight so that might be one of the reasons that that's not happening um, the slowest of any top yeah. flight Yes, any top flight anywhere in the world. I've, um, just, I've said it before. I understand that the business models to bring in players from these different markets showcase them with the theory of then selling them on for, for money. And I know Rubizic has got good numbers that will attract people to come and look at him. But for me, I've said it before, like Aberdeen, we don't have the kind of budget where we can have 22 similar standard players in our squad and we can just interchange them. We have to be playing our best players, and Angus McDonald's our best defender, and I cannot understand why he doesn't play. It is one of the interesting things. Ruby's numbers this season are actually still really good. So I do think there are going to be teams who will look at him in the first pass cut when you do the data analysis. Insert Homer Simpson, Kent Brockman quote right here. Yeah, no, absolutely. But it's whether he passes the eye test when people come and actually look at him is the, is the next part to that. But um, it's fair to say after that performance at Easter Road... There was definitely more and more pressure, I think, starting to build on Robson, and that wasn't going to subside after what followed next. A really, really poor 1-0 defeat at home to Kilmarnock on the following Wednesday. I mean, this game was piss poor all over. This was honking, honking stuff. Watson with the winner for Killian injury time. I said earlier on that the Killy game away maybe felt like a real turning point. I felt that this one was the first time that the home support maybe really kind of turned a little bit on the manager as well. I think in that game, I, and me and Beth were sitting at the game and she says, I saw that coming. <clears throat> I didn't see it coming because Kilmarnock didn't do anything. Maybe we didn't do much, but they didn't do anything in the game. They were sitting in and letting us take the ball to them. And it, it's, I found it a wee bit, we've had a lot, in a lot of games this season, we have a lot of possession, but the creativity's not been there. Yeah. And I think, in my view, we're playing the wrong guys in the wrong position. Ross County game, he plays Clarkson a bit forward, who's the guy that has the creativity in the midfield. He'd been playing Shinny up more forward before that. And I think that's where we're losing out. We're not with the creativity. We have the ball. If teams come to Pataudry and sit in, we haven't got the creativity to break them down. Yeah. And I think it's because he's playing the wrong guys in the wrong place. Clarkson's the guy in midfield that can create something. He's got a lovely pass, he's got a nice touch, he's got brilliant control, but he was playing him as a holding midfielder, which I don't think is his role. It's, to me, and I think that was evident in that game again, we couldn't break them down. I think, interestingly as well, this is probably the first time we've properly spoken about Clarkson in the whole time we've yeah. been on just now. And what, last year... We all thought he was amazing, big player for us. We're all rooting for him to be signed. He's been signed. He's not been quite as shining as we'd have hoped he'd been. Not quite as consistent. Playing in the wrong position, but yeah. yeah. yeah I think it goes the same. I mean, obviously, Willie, you asked earlier on, you talked earlier about Duke being off it a little bit this season as well so far. And I think part of that's the way that he's been asked to play as well so far, or, or the majority of the campaign we've seen. To date, um, I mean, that Kilmarnock game, I don't really want to dwell on it too long um, because it was just so bad. Um, I think my abiding memory of it is that just he refused also to change anything. We wait until the 76th minute to bring on McGarry and Shaden Morris. 
and from memory it wasn't they were just fresh legs it didn't really change anything about the way we were playing i think um we go to back four perhaps and johnny hayes ends up going further up the pitch yeah but uh yeah nothing much in the way it changes there and it's like the goal they score <laughs> in the last minutes it's like it's like schrodinger's defense because your man watson is surrounded by aberdeen shirts and yet also has all the time in the world to pluck the ball out of the air do a 180 spin and then fire it into the top corner um as soon as he took it down i was like this is in yeah and lo and behold it was and that's the first time i can think of the red shed shouting robson please go away thank you um (laughs) or words to that effect and (laughs) at that point it did feel like i felt this way when we were at dens park and we lost under stephen glass and that's when the fans turned on him for me you're gonna struggle as a manager to turn that around and robson obviously has the backing of the of the board but he's got a long way to go to make up with a lot of support yeah coming off the back of that one hearts then come north they were in good form themselves at this point they were really looking to stamp their kind of authority over us they got off to a perfect start shanklin nods home inside 20 minutes a really kind of tepid first half from from us in a game where you're expecting us to to, to put some sort of reaction out there um but changing shape sees us roar back to take the point smart finish by Miofsky and then deep into injury time a really really good breakaway from us Duke um bursting through feeds Clarkson for a tap and three points were secured much needed performance maybe still wasn't great but again Willie you touched on earlier on when he's been under real pressure Robson has somehow found the result to buy him just that little bit extra time but that was another game where we seemed to be better in the second half yeah first half in that game we were poor I think it was Shinny lost Shanklin for the header. Yep. Uh, and but then the second half he just we just turned around again. And I said, is this what they're telling them? Just sit in for a while, see how the game goes. But that's fine. But you can end up behind as we did. Now we pulled it out in the second half, a really good second half performance. Um I mean Duke laying on the goal for Clarkson was fantastic. He did really well there. Um, I actually thought he was going to be greedy and keep it himself, and mm, I was surprised he mm. put it across. No, the debate. I still have convinced it's a terrible finish. Yeah, well, the more I've watched it, I think the night we recorded, I was adamant it was a pass. But the more I've watched it, I actually think he's tried to chip the keeper. Well, and he's the debate on sports scene that night, they were convinced he duffed it because <laughs> he was playing dink it. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure myself. The jury's maybe out in that one. I'll it's give one of those, it doesn't really game. matter, does it? Let's be honest. At that moment in time, it was just like, fine. At least somebody was there to tap it in if he did mess it up. Um, but Graham, it is the interesting dichotomy with Robson, isn't it? That just when you think he's on the brink of just being done, he somehow pulls a result out that you don't really see coming. No... And we can get into whether people think he should still be there or how much life is left. But I think the team's good enough that we will we will bounce along and we will pick up results maybe when we don't expect to pick up results. Because there's a decent team there. And as has been shown at times this season, it clicks and we're, we're capable of getting the results. But that, that was one where, yeah, you're not really expecting it. He's up against it. People are probably thinking this is about the end of it. And then all of a sudden... Okay, our record at Pedodri against Hearts is is decent overall, but again we we come away with it and it's a little bit of an odd state of affairs because it's not really the slide into oblivion that it felt like we had under Glass or maybe even Goodwin. You know, we get a couple, the pressure mounts, 
and then out of nowhere comes a result. And I would I wouldn't say necessarily steadies the ship and you know everyone's silent and happy, but it's enough that it goes away and we we go into the next week and we kind of see what happens there. So a really good result, but again, arguably a little bit fortunate hearts miss some decent chances. It's a game where a couple of the familiar faces come to the fold in that second half, and I'm thinking about um, Jamie McGrath and Dante Polvara, especially. But this was one game, and I think we talk about Rubicic a lot in the defensive respect just because it feels like it does seem to centre around, like the worst things seem to be, Rubicic is in the vicinity when uh, the worst things happen. But Jensen and Gartman have had their share of, of bad games as well, but this was one game where I felt like Jensen played like a demon, played like a man possessed in that second half and set the tempo for us to, to change the way the game was going. I mean, that shot he hits that Xander Clark saves to stop it going in the top corner really gave the crowd some life. It seemed like it gave the team some life as well. And that's what sets us off to uh, to get that victory. You've got to commend Jamie McGrath. You know, he gets fouled potentially leading up to the penalty, leading up to the goal, sorry. But he just carries on, gets the ball to Miofsky, and it's a smart finish from him. And, you know, like you say, it doesn't matter what Duke was doing or not doing when we get that goal. We've often commented that if you're a team in need of a result, if Aberdeen come to town, then you're sorted. It feels that way with Hearts the last couple of years at, at Pataudry. You yeah, know, you can think of yeah. Glass back in the day when Ferguson scores the header. Uh, obviously, last season we took up, took two wins off them. Yeah, we've got them. Are we, uh, can we are we allowed to keep them now? Uh, no, because the problem is that they keep us at Gorgie, so <laughs> it doesn't really work that way, unfortunately. Um, after the back of that one, a final Conference League group game of the campaign on the Thursday. Perhaps not as heavily rotated a team as we would have expected given the cup final at the weekend and then given Robson's attitude to the game in Helsinki. But never mind. We finally get three points on the board in the group with a comfortable 2-1, uh, 2-0 win sorry, over Eintracht Frankfurt just days after they'd humped Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga. Um, goals from Duke and Sokler. A, a truly wonderful goal by Sokler as well, it's fair to say. It was great, if nothing else, that we finally got a win in the group stages that our performances in Europe, generally speaking, had deserved this season. I think for uh, the listeners out there, you cannot understand just how raging Gary was when he saw that lineup and saw his refusal to use certain substitutes and take certain players off, bearing in mind that cup final. Um, I don't think you can underestimate how much of an achievement that result was. I know it was not Frankfurt's first team, but by Christ, it was not our first team either. So for the players that were on that pitch uh, and the people that were in that ground, because I was not there because I thought it would just be a nothing game between two teams playing the reserves and it would just be a complete uh, spectacle, <laughs> a lack of spectacle. Um, this is the game I was talking about where when Shaden Morris puts the cross in and I'm thinking to myself, oh, that was all right. It's like the biggest backhanded compliment to a winger you could possibly give out. Fuck me, that was a decent cross from Shaden there. And uh, Dante was superb. Connor Baden was superb. And, uh, you know, Esther Sokler's, his chances have been limited. So for him to get that uh, that moment in front of the Richard Dahl stand, it was just a fantastic, uh, fantastic way to round off the, the European campaign. Graham, if I can, let's just, if you just put the, the Frankfurt game to one side just for a second, but just the overall European campaign as a whole, I mean... I talked about it earlier on, but it just felt like such a what could have been kind of campaign in a weird way because 
we probably should have had six points against Helsinki, and this is all if my auntie had bollocks kind of argument. But you know, you take a point in in Greece, we should have beaten Pauk at Petodre to be two 0 up and let that slip is unforgivable. You beat Frankfurt. There's an argument to say we could have come out of the group. It's really f- before the group. I think it's like best said earlier. If someone said these are the results you're going to get, knowing what you are, what I thought about the teams at the time, because you think, well, Helsinki will be all right, Pauk will be decent, etc. And then the way it played out, Pauk were probably better than I thought. Frankfurt maybe not quite as good as I thought because we gave them a decent game in Germany and Helsinki. We should have we should have beaten. So yeah, I think it was a little bit. If a missed opportunity, maybe that's a bit extreme because that implies we would go out of the group, but we certainly could have and should have given a better account of ourselves. Uh, we had the Pike one's a classic one. There's no way, was it 2-0 up with 15 to go, that you should be losing that game. That just shouldn't happen at that level. So I think it's absolutely fair to say you should have had three points out of that. And then it, it could have been different. Um, overall, I guess at least we did get the win in the end and we you know, we did score in every game and we, we gave a decent account of ourselves in most of the games. But yeah, it feels like a bit of a missed opportunity, which is probably not what any of us would have thought at the start that we would be looking back thinking we really could have done something in that group. Yeah. Beth, well, I'll come to you guys about this now because I think if nothing else, what you saw from us in Europe this season was a, a team, a squad who could compete on that level. Maybe a little bit of inexperience, a little bit of naivety sometimes. But it felt like that's the type of campaign in Europe that you think a squad can learn from and grow from. You just need to get back into Europe the following season to try and make the most of it. And I guess that's almost the most frustrating thing as well, that the way the season's panning out is that we've left ourselves now with an uphill mountain to climb to try and get back to that stage next season again. I think, definitely, I think the performances in Europe has probably been our best performances of the season. And I think, even although Frankfurt did put a weakened team. You can criticise the management team on other games, but the, the system they put out that night worked. We sat in and hit them on the break and beat them. And that was one of the best results Aberdeen's had in Europe for a long time. Other than you go back to Dimitro when uh, Darren Mackey scored that header. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was just... And we were in Frankfurt. The performance we they put up that night was very good okay we got beat but I think their European performances has been very good I yeah. think yeah. you know we obviously went to Frankfurt yeah. and before we went to Frankfurt everyone expected to get absolutely humped it would be whatever nil but we were just there for a good time and then when we got there had a few beers we said we'd maybe score maybe get a draw by the time you would got to the stadium you were winning the game but <laughs> I don't think anyone expected any of the performance we've had, you know, in Scotland. We've looked at that group, people have went, Aberdeen are going to get absolutely humped in these games. But actually, we scored in every game. We've done all right. Um, and it's like we said, we'd have totally took it at the start. But knowing what that team is capable of, it is disappointing. But hopefully, if things go a lot better the second half of the season, we can maybe get another shot at it next year. I would like to see this squad with a, with a, with that level of experience now get another bash. Uh, even like a group similar to the one we had actually this time around. Um, 
and yeah, Frankfurt away was great. I mean, obviously we touched on them in, in part one. I don't think my shin has still quite recovered yet from um, after Danny Pavara scores. But um, what is it about stadiums deciding to make their concrete just the slippiest thing possibly known to man, uh, especially when it's been stained by a few thousand pints of beer? Um, Gav, sorry. It's a very strange because we're talking about in this section alone going three games unbeaten in Europe. That's true. And I would yeah. wager that Rangers and Celtic included, you will not find that happening all that often in the past 10, 15 years um, in any group stage competition. So to be talking with this level of, yeah, just almost disappointment that we haven't taken a victory off the Finnish champions and we haven't quite seen out against a team that are a very good side in Pauk. Horrible, horrible football club, but, you know, decent football side. Um, Yeah. Very strange, but hopefully that's something for the players who are going to be here for the long run, an incentive. That's what they can experience going forward. And it's just, it highlights the importance in the second half season to just get going, get on a run and get ourselves up that league table. And what more do you need to sell to a prospective Liverpool young player to come here on loan that he can get an all-expenses trip to four or five different European destinations in a season and not actually play a minute of first-team football. What else do you want to do? You know, there you go. <laughs> anyway, um, all eyes then on Hamden, our first final since 2018 as we took on Sevco in the Viaplay Cup final. Not for the first time as an Aberdeen fan at Hamden. We just never really rose to the occasion in this one. Plenty of effort from the men in red, it's fair to say, but we never really looked like scoring. A single goal from Tavernier, who else would it be against Aberdeen, um, was enough to see... Scotland's youngest top flight side secure their first ever League Cup win. Um, Gav, before we come and talk about the game, what is your current record at Hamden now? <laughs> I don't have the numbers in front of me. it is horrendous. <laughs> I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I've seen us beat Morton and Rangers, and that is about it. And I've been to my fair share. Yeah, you've been to a lot. That's terrible stuff. Now, the nature of the performance on the day was one thing. Um... <laughs> And we can talk about that as much as we want to. But in a weird way, again, it was some of the post-match commentary from the manager that seemed to attract the most attention as we headed north. Everyone's had their say on what he came out with afterwards. And you can have your view on it. Uh, for me, just the, the performance, uh, the decision to go with the two up front, I felt was an error in judgment. I think the game... This is something you learn with hindsight, of course, but I think the occasion was too big for Esther Sokler. And we had a blueprint there for how to go to Glasgow on a big pitch against a team that's going to have more of the ball and be defensively solid and pose a threat going forward. So to go with the 3-5, the 5-3-2, 3-5-2, whatever you call it, just seemed very naive. I think he went with it because of how well it worked initially at Pataudry but it wasn't the right setup, and it wasn't the right blend of the personnel. Clarkson, McGrath, Shinny in the midfield hasn't worked all season. Um, and to leave Dante Povara and Conor Barron on the bench for, well, Conor Barron doesn't come on at all, and Dante comes on with, what, 15, 20 minutes to go? Poor selection. And just, we seemed to almost accept our fate, which I guess is what people have read into his comments afterwards that we're there to make up the numbers if we can get lucky we'll maybe get this game next time maybe get it to penalties i don't know what our plan is there because we've got a horrendous goalkeeper for penalties but nevertheless um 
to go to that kind of game that occasion backed by a big support and not try and win it is for me inexcusable graham you've seen your fair share of dawn's disappointments in cup finals these days as well um is there anything else uh, very infrequently there's something else um gav's right isn't it this was I, you can't fault, and I saw some people after the game being like, oh, but they, they tried. I was like, I don't think you can fault the effort from the team on the day. But it just felt to me throughout the, the course of the 90 minutes that we never really believed we could win the game. I wouldn't fault the effort, but then that should be the absolute bare minimum is that, you know, they're all professional players. They would give their all. That's that's their job. That's what they should want to do. I think it's the it's the approach and the mentality, whether that's, what they were told to do and sort of try and soak it up and see if we can get lucky or if the occasion gets them. I don't really know. It's the it's the not laying a glove on them. You know, I can't even remember if we had a meaningful shot on target. You know, ultimately, if you don't attempt to bring the game to the opposition at some point in the game, now you might look at it and decide that maybe you couldn't do it for 90 minutes if you're deemed to be the underdog. But at some point, surely you take the shackles off and you you try and give them a game and it never really felt like we did that and why why would you not do that in a one-off you know one-off it's not a league game where you maybe scrape a point away and you think that that's a decent outcome you, you know you go home with nothing if you don't try and take the game to them and that's what really frustrated me was at no point did it feel like we are just going to try and especially as the game went on you think you're still in it pressure's probably building on them now is the time to try and turn it on a little bit and it just never happened and we've got the team to do it. It's one thing if it's, say, second half of last season where we are a very defensively resolute side and you can make the argument that we can stand up to that kind of pressure and then we'll get lucky with a set piece or a moment of magic. But there's nothing about this season to date that says that we are a good defensive unit. So to just invite the pressure on and invite the pressure on, Graham texted at halftime, I said, this. I've seen this movie before. And Graham's like, yeah, this is only going to end one way. And of course it does. And, you know, uh, the goal itself is is what it is, I guess. It's poor defensive play. I think the more I watch it, the better I feel Roos should do better with it as well. But up to that point, I guess he had kept us in the game to some respects. Yeah. And yeah, even then, like, we do then start to attack them a little bit. Uh, of course, they've had nothing to do defensively, so they're prepared for it mentally and physically. But even though we don't get a shot on target, I think that's the, the key statistic from this game. Um, you could see that we could hurt them if we had that bit more belief. And then you talk about, is it mentality from the players or from the manager? To me, if Robson comes out and says what he says after the game, in public, in the post-match presser, there's a part of me thinks he's saying that to his team. And I just can't believe that the guy I watched for United and for Celtic would ever have accepted that as a player so to see him convey that as a manager it's just it boggles my mind beth will it's, it's, it's such an interesting question this one isn't it because of, you know I, I probably subscribe to this view myself that in a in a cup final a one-off opportunity i don't think we'll have a better opportunity to beat rangers in a cup final than we did on this day just the nature of the way that the the game came about they'd had a big game in betis on the thursday night they, their squad was down to the absolute bare bones I kind of feel in a cup final, like, I'd rather see my team get beat 3-0, but I've had a go, than get beat 1-0 and not had a shot on target. I think the the system he set up, and I think you touched on it earlier, two up front, 
He did that because it worked to an extent at Pitori. The, the goal that Mirovsky scored with Sokler flicking it onto him worked and he, he split the Rangers' defence. So that was maybe in his thinking with the two up front. And in hindsight, and hindsight's a great thing, maybe that was the wrong thing to do. But you're right, we never really... And I sometimes get this when we go to Glasgow and I know Ferguson back in the day got past that attitude that you are very on the defensive, minded, not just in the play. And I don't know if that was that happened that day. The goal that we lost was poor defending. Balligan got the cross in unchallenged. McGarry was nowhere near uh, Tavernier, or Jensen was nowhere near Tavernier at the back post. And you're saying, that's just basic defending. And, okay, there was contentious about we might have had one or two penalties, right? And I think you could argue probably both of them. Uh, Gartnerman getting tugged, uh, the goalie going through on Duke. But to be fair, we didn't deserve that out that game. We might have got a penalty and scored and went to extra time or whatever. But you're right, we didn't put in... And it's something we've struggled in a lot of games. We have a lot of the ball, but we kind of create. And I think the defense, people will say, well, we're losing bad defensive goals. Partly my view is it's because they're getting through the midfield too easy. Shinny has not done well this year. He's done well in a couple of games. Other games, he's all over the place. Now, are you going to drop your captain? Probably not. And I think that's... They've taken him off late in games sometimes. And he's he's near the guy I thought were getting back again. Last season, he did well when he was on loan. This season, whether two games a week's too much for him, I don't know. What is he, 32, 33 or something like that? And I think that's the midfield at times is all the place and they get to the defence too easy. Yeah, and we saw this in this cup final as well. Um, that, that midfield three, the, the, the McGrath, Shinney, Clarkson trio just doesn't work as a three. It hasn't worked all season. Um, you know, Rangers had uh, Sterling playing in the centre midfield. He's a left back by trade or a right back, I think, by trade. We allowed him to dominate the game in there. Rangers got a real foothold in there. And yeah, just just incredibly disappointing, Beth. This one, just when you get that opportunity, you've kind of been jammy to get through the semi final. You maybe think at that point, name could be on the trophy here. A lot of things are stacking up in your favour, and just to really go there and be so meek was just so disappointing. And Gav's right; it's not the type of performance you'd expect from a, a team managed by Barry Robson, who, if nothing else, as a player, was a winner. Yeah, for sure, and. I, I don't feel like he's the kind of manager that, that maybe says the same things behind closed doors that he is saying in front of the press, in front of the media, because he's going to back his players and things in the front of the media and protect them a bit. I feel like he's the kind of guy that probably go through you and uh, tear you a new one. I'd be pretty scared of him, to be honest. But, yeah, when I did coverage for Original that day, I was going around the stadium chatting to the fans. It was all good fun. Everyone was in good spirits. Everyone kind of thought this is our best chance in a long time to win. And I think that's maybe what made it hurt that little bit more is because it was our best chance in a long time. And it's the hope that gets you. <laughs> that's why we're all here, isn't it? Let's be honest. <laughs> Tagline so, of this podcast. Yeah, indeed. Absolutely. Um, Livy came north on the Wednesday, despite the Livy Lions having failed to score in seven games 
prior to arriving at Pataudry, we did what we do and we gave Guthrie the opener on 28 minutes. Thankfully, we have Boyan Miofsky at hand, a brace from him either side of half-time, enough to secure a much-needed three points. Uh, this wasn't a great performance by any stretch of the imagination, but three points was all that was necessary. Um, that one then saw our trip to Dens and our game against Muddle on the 27th of December, both falling foul with the weather. So up next was St Mirren, coming to Pataudry on the 30th. And, well, what a way to round off the year of 2023, um, because this was just about as bad as any Aberdeen performance I can remember Dismally tepid, no real coherent style of play. Uh, Saints left with their biggest win at Pataudry since the 1950s. It could and should have been worse. O'Hara missed a penalty. This was piss poor stuff. Um, And the knives were well and truly being sharpened at this point, it's probably fair to say, Gav. Uh, My abiding memory of this fixture uh, evening is my my darling partner came with us because... (laughs) Graham was stuffing his face with prawn sandwiches. True, so she was yes. able to use his uh, ticket to come and watch the the famous. And, um, you know, we we lose the game, obviously. It's, it's terrible. The conditions were awful from what I remember as well. It was very cold and rainy and all that good stuff. Walking back to Fierce um, and then finding out that Beth was in... Archie's getting absolutely oh, yeah. fucking mortaled. And Beth texts me um, saying, where are you guys? And I said, well, we're in Fierce, but I'm going to wait and leave soon to go and record the podcast. And she called me a shite bag. <laughs> <laughs> Which I did so not expect from a one sixes premier presenter. But uh, hey, these things will happen when you've just been cuffed 3-0 by, by the buddies. Uh, horrific stuff and again i'm pretty sure the chance of robson can you please, please go away were there. were there uh amongst other things uh, a horrific promise only thing that was missing was kel just telling me to calm down true true graham you were in you were prone sandwiching we talked about earlier on um did you bother to come back out for the second half or did you just give up the ghost uh no we came out recollection is a little bit hazy um but maybe that's <laughs> not a bad thing actually um given the Probably state of that. Uh, yeah, it was just, again, it was another game where we just don't lay a glove on them and we just look so disorganised and guys that you know are good players just not doing anything at all. And I felt sorry for him in a miserable day when Clarkson gets to watch the ball sail over his head uh, for most of it. I mean, what What's the point of having these guys on the pitch if you're just going to be playing like that? Uh, really, really poor and again, just this really odd pattern we're in where either a decent game, decent result, or we get a result, or you just get that sort of nonsense. There's no, you don't really know what you're going to get and when you're going to get it. This is another instance of where you're just left wondering how can the same football club that I've put in the kind of performances against Frankfurt and Pauk and Helsinki, how can this be the same team that can't do anything against Simran, who are zero for six against Kilmarnock this season. And I've put in, you know... So are we, to be fair. <laughs> oh, that's what I was talking about. Oh, sorry, right. Yes. Um, just, yeah, so, so poor. And, you know, Boya Miofsky, I think Duke played up front as well that game, were just, you know, getting increasingly frustrated with the nonsense that's being served up to them. And Graham's exactly right. I mean, Leighton Clarkson, you know, the guy's got absolutely no chance playing as deep as he does with... 
so little support. We'd commented ahead of the game that Simon were aggressive and combative in midfield and we just looked completely unprepared for it and deserved the 3-0 defeat. Yeah, um, Beth Willie, I guess, I mean, like I said earlier on, for me, and I've seen a lot of really bad Aberdeen performances over the years, this one, I think, for me, is still up there now. is possibly the worst I've ever seen. Um, I think part of it's because I think that there's a lot of talent in the squad, and so it makes it like more galling when it happens. I remember... You know, Gav, Graham, you'll remember this one. I think Hamilton beat us 3-1 in a post-split game under Mark McGee. And Hamilton battered us, and it could have been like 5 or 6. But I remember feeling after that one just like, yeah, about right. Like, we're a really bad football team. That's what makes this even worse. That that was a horrendous performance last time out at Pataudry against St Mirren. Fortunately or unfortunately, I was sunning myself in Grand Canaria. So well, there we go. <laughs> I didn't see the game live, but I've since watched the highlights. And yet another game, if you look at the stats, and maybe that doesn't mean much in football, Aberdeen had about 64% possession. Now, and I've seen we did have chances in the game, but never took them. Uh, so I'm not... Not seen it live, it's difficult for me to comment. But it's another game where I think we've had a lot of the ball, but not create enough, you know? I have to say, I had a great afternoon. I <laughs> 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 went at the pub at half twelve, was late for the game, missed the first goal, had a very good macaroni pie, seen the second goal, and was back in the pub for the third goal. And obviously the events that... Proceeded that, I uh, got quite boozy to the point where my brother tried to get into the wrong house when he got dropped off home. Excellent. Lovely. <laughs> so I, I had a great time. The football kind of just got in the way of my afternoon, if I'm honest. <laughs> what more do you want? What more do you need? There we go. Um, and again, what, again with Robson, he's under massive pressure coming off that St Mirren game. There's one game left in the winter break. We round off the seat, the, the, the midway point with a, a real make-or-break tie in Dingwall against a side who are 100 times worse than Morecambe, let's remember. Um, <laughs> we decide to shift to 4-2-3-1 and we run out comfortable winners here. 3-0 in the end, a brace from Jamie McGrath, one from Miofsky. Now, in the aftermath of this one, the manager was keen to play down the impact of the change of system. <laughs> um, to everybody concerned that that was not the thing that changed here. But... Um, it's surely clear to everyone now, isn't it, that the back three has to be put in the bin, set on fire, taken to the local <laughs> skip, set on fire again, and then nuke the local skip? Not a fan. I mean, watching the highlights of the game, and, it, and they went to a 4-2-3-1, I think, in that game. And you see, that was a Shinny and Barron sitting, collapsing further forward. Uh, and it certainly seemed to work that game. And as I've said earlier in the chat, that Clarkson's not a defending midfielder. He's more a creative. The one he put through the guy's legs to lay on McGrath's setting goal was just class. Uh, and that's the type of player he is. He'll try these things, but you can't try that deep in your own half. He's uh, He has to be further forward to get the best out of him. And I think for whatever reason earlier in the season, they put Shinny further forward and him further back. I think they got it right, the Ross County game. Now, whether that carries on into the new games when they start again against Clyde on Friday night, uh, hopefully. But that, what I saw in the highlights, it seemed to work that day, the 4-2-3-1. 
yeah, we, we talked a lot about this in the immediate aftermath of that game because it was one of those where can, I think you can go ahead and pay for it on uh, Ross County pay-per-view, <laughs> that, uh, that world-famous channel. And off the back of St. Mirren, 3-0 defeat, I'm just like, why would I bother to give <laughs> Derek Adams' transfer budget a little £12 injection of my own cash? But went ahead, did it, and pleasantly surprised. Yeah, It's not even so much for me about what the defence looks like. It's about getting the best players in our midfield in the right position. And, you know, Connor Barron is, has done well anytime he's coming to the team. Um, I think he gives that little bit extra to Shinny as far as the, taking a bit of the workload off of him. And like Willie says, I mean, Leighton Clarkson, Leighton Clarkson megs a Simonon player on the halfway line when we're 3-0 down. And what good is that? Because, you know, he then got the entire defence and anyone else to get through when you get him that far at the pitch and you get him against defenders like Jack Baldwin, he's going to have, it's like a cat playing with a mouse. And then he's got the composure to feed Jay McGrath he can feed Boyan Miofsky. It's going to be a game changer for Aberdeen if he continues to play there. And I was just pleasantly surprised and delighted with the way we played that day. Um, and it's just another one of those games that makes you know that we have got a very good group of players, especially going forward. And if you give them the right infrastructure, we can run over teams in this league. That's going to bring us to the midway point of the campaign. Um so we're currently sitting in, at the moment in the winter break, eighth place in the table on 22 points, albeit we have four million games in hand against some of our rivals. Um, we did make the League Cup final. We performed well in the European group stages. We've talked about that earlier on. Um, Beth, well, I'll come to you guys first. How would you assess, grade the season to date out of 10 in the very traditional manner, one being horseshit, 10 being Gothenburg? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the grading is difficult because at times we've looked very good and at times we've looked very bad. So I think if you're nicking for a number out of 10 on average, you have to say 5 out of 10. It's no... There might have been times we've been 8, but there's times we've been 3. So we go with average and I would say maybe 5 out of 10 across the piece. I'm going to go with 5.5. <laughs> I wasn't quite 5... But I wasn't quite a six. Like, <laughs> men up and down. Um, like you said, there's been some pretty good, good times. But then there's been some pretty bad ones as well. So it's hard, it's hard to grade, like you're saying. Gav, Graham, if, out of ten, what would you go with? <sighs> Sharpen, take a breath. He's thinking about it a lot. Graham, I'll come to you first. I'll go for four, because I'm the four. resident pessimist. <laughs> you are indeed absolutely. yeah I will say I think there's been a lot more nonsense than good stuff so I'm going to say 4.5 4.5 is what I said on the BBC this week when they asked me to do it so I'm going to stick with that I just think that the lows have been really bad and the highs have been decent but not enough of them so I'm going to go 4.5 um, um, the county game we just touched on it there but like, it felt as though it showed a real blueprint for how we should tackle the vast majority of games we play for the remainder of the campaign. But here's the, here's the big question again, Beth, well, I'll come to you guys first on this. Do you see Robson sticking with that now? Or does he go back to type and goes back to that three at the back? Because he genuinely seemed a little bit pissed off the back four worked. I think, 
I would be worried that he would go back to that because the games we've got coming up, Clyde, on paper we should beat Clyde without too much difficulty, but we all remember Darville. Mm -hmm. right? But then you've got Hearts, Rangers and Celtic. So does he really think I'll go back to what I think is three at the back works? And that worries me if he does do that because it's Hearts away, it's at Celtic up here. And Rangers away, I think. Is it something like that? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, it worked against Ross County. And probably probably three of the best performances we've had this year is against Ross County. <laughs> Can we play them every week, as the song goes? But um, I'm not sure if he'll go back to his old, what he thinks was right, three at the back against Hearts, you know. I don't know, but I think he might, you know. Nobody likes to admit they're wrong either, do they? No, they really don't. Look at Gav with Jamie McGrath. Look at I him. Mean, it's, it still hurts me. <laughs> um, I feel like, I think I remember saying at the time that the worst thing that could have almost happened with that game when he makes that tactical formation switch is that we're just putting a really uninspiring, scrappy 1-0 win and he could just turn around and say, well, see, I, I changed it and nothing much really happened. So we're going to go back to the way things were. To me, that performance is undeniable, how much better we were. And it stands to pretty, you know, reason, common sense, that if you get your best players on the pitch, you're going to have a much better chance of winning football games. And we're a better team with Connor Bannon in it. We're a better team with Dante Polvara in it. And we're a better team with Leighton Clarkson playing further up the pitch. So I'm very much intrigued. Uh, but my gut feeling is that come Friday when he comes up face-to-face -face with the managerial juggernaut that is Ian McCall and Mark Kerr. We're going to have that back three again, and we'll all be scratching our head. Or our lugs. One of the two. Or our lugs, yeah. Um, Graham, we're running out of time a little bit, so I'm going to come just really quick. Yes or no, does he stick with the 43-1, or does he not? I don't think he will. I think we've seen enough that he reverts to type. Excellent. Lovely stuff. Wonderfully depressing. Thank you, Graham. Um, Beth, Willie, I'll, I'll, we'll round things off here. I'm going to just really quickly, um, quick fire for you guys here. Player of the season so far? I think on class on his day, you'd have to say Miyowski for me. I suppose that's the obvious answer. Mm. So I will go with Jamie McGrath. Nice. Because I think he's been consistently good and... He's nice on the ice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie called him the Leinster Lippmanin, I think it was last week. And just to rub it in with Gav as well, I'm all for it. So, um, and most disappointing player of the season so far? <laughs> Take your there's, there's a few. I, I would the captain. Um, he's had a couple of good games. He played the 4 0 against Ross County, he was very good. But I think the captain's now been great. Yeah, and I would say. Mm. Duke as well. Although there's been bits in there, he's not what he was last year, which was obviously immense. But again, he's not necessarily always been played in the best place for him to get the best out of yeah. him. And then, right, to round things off, and what, let's, let's go to a positive way to wrap things up with you guys just now. Your moment of the season so far? Oh, I think probably Duke's goal in Europe when he took it on one foot, spun and scored. I think that was a touch of class. Touch of class. Mine was just the whole Frankfurt trip away. It was me, Dad, my brother and my nephew. Um, 
And when we scored that goal, it was awesome. Although my brother missed it because he was at the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. That's exactly what you want, isn't it? Brilliant. It's hard to look past the Pulvara goal because it was such a moment of just like, fuck, he's actually scored. Like there was like a proper moment. <laughs> it felt there was a momentary delay. And because it was at the other end, it seemed like it was miles away. It was like, shit, go. <laughs> it was great. Lovely stuff. Right. That'll do us um, to wrap up the mid-season review. Um, thank you, Beth, Willie. Thank you for taking the time to join us on the ABZ Football Podcast. It is absolutely much appreciated. Um, join us after the break now for our preview of Friday night's Scottish Cup tie with Clyde. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you by Doan Co on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Enjoy freshly topped donuts, coffee, milkshakes, soup, pies, bagels and much, much more available every day of the week. Come along and enjoy their daily deals such as black coffee and a mini donut for just £1 or a bagel and a soft drink for only a fiver. Join the guys seven days a week on Belmont Street between 8 and 8 and available 24-7 at yourdonutshop.com. Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. Now, before we move on to talk about Clyde, just a quick shout out to those of you continuing to make your pledges to the Beer and Coffee Fund. Absolutely much appreciated. If you'd like to join the likes of Inverness Don, Grant Stevens, Scott B, Mark Massey, then please head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash ABZ Football Podcast. It is absolutely much appreciated. And if you fail to do so yet, the latest ABZ FP prize, what am I trying to say here? Raffle prize funding charity fundraising raffle is up and running we've got two individual spaces for a private training session at Cormac Park along with Neil Simpson leading it I mean what more do you want is for a Gothenburg great to see you breathing out your arse at Cormac Park if you'd like the chance to enter the draw for this one all proceeds are going to be split 50-50 between the AFC Community Trust and the Gothenburg Greats Legacy Fund it's £10 a head entry if you'd like to enter, email us at abzfootballpodcast at gmail.com. Get yourself in the draw. Great opportunity. Properly genuine, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for a session with Simi at Cormac Park. Not that kind of session, I should say. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, what more could you possibly want, boys? Oh, and us. And us as well, of so course. So you get yes. to take the absolute rip <laughs> out of the nick of us. You get us. to hope that Jane McGrath is hanging about Cormac Park with a baseball bat for a gal. <laughs> <laughs> I think the chance to go to Cormac Park uh, would be pretty cool and Simi putting you through your paces and trying not to piss himself I mean I was going to say money can't buy that but it can a small outlay can give you that opportunity exactly absolutely and you've got the the main thing as well is you're helping to raise cash for two uh, very very worthwhile charities as well so yeah if you can £10 per entry abzfootballpodcast at gmail.com for a chance to win one of those two individual places and you can maybe even see a patented Gary Scott back heel tackle who knows anyway let's moving on um, Friday evening sees the Dons enter the Scottish Cup fourth round desperate to avoid a repeat of what happened at the same stage last season as we travel to New Douglas Park, Hamilton, to take on League Two outfit Clyde. A first meeting with Clyde in the Scottish Cup 
since March 1988, where the Dons ran out 5-0 winners in the quarterfinals thanks to a hat-trick from the elephant man himself, Davy Dodds, and goals apiece for Keith Edwards and William O. Falconero. Indeed, 1991 was the last time we faced the Bully Week, that coming League Cup second round, the 4-0 win at the old Shawfield with goals from Brian Grant, Peter Van de Ven, David Winnie and Scott Booth. Seeing the Dons progress in the Scottish Cup, the sides have faced each other six times, the Dons winning three, one draw, two wins for Clyde, those coming in 1955 and 1960 respectively. Clyde progressing to the fourth round of the Cup thanks to a 3-2 win over Musselburgh in round two and then a 2-0 win over Genefield Swifts in the third round. Ian McCall taking over from Brian McLean in November after Clyde's horrendous start to the season. Former Dons captain Mark Kerr also added to the first team management team at the end of last week or as the Clyde Twitter account pointed out, the Feist team management team. So who knows, maybe it's all about the fechting down Clyde way this season. For Clyde in league so far, played 19-1-2, drawn 7 Lost 10, 4-22 against 38, only 13 points in the league so far. They've kept one clean sheet in the league. That came back in early September. They've kept only one since then. That was in the 2-0 win against Jamefield Swift in the Scottish Cup. A 1-1 draw for Clyde at the weekend at Bayview against East Fife. That result keeps them rooted to the bottom of League 2. Five points off of Elgin City. They're having, let's be brutally honest, a torrid time of it. But since McCall came in, they've played eight. 1-2, drawn 3, lost 3. Martin Rennie's our top scorer with 5. He did score against East Fife at the weekend. Liam Scullion, who plays on the right side of midfield, is the top assist provider with 3. McCall so far favouring a 4-2-3-1, but you never know and you'd suspect he might be a little bit more pragmatic, one would imagine, on Friday evening. The only Dons connection I can find in this current Clyde squad, apart from Mark Kerr, obviously, is Robbie Leach, son of former Dons assistant manager Scott Ooh. Leach. <laughs> I thought you'd enjoy that one, Gav. So um, it is, of course, New Douglas Park. It's an astral pitch. Something for us just to take into account. Live on the BBC, they're clearly hoping for a repeat of last season. Yeah, I can't wait to see Ian McCall's uh, rousing pre-game speech to his uh, to his players. Or maybe let Curzo take the lead on that one. Maybe, maybe. Because if there's anything that we said about Mark Curz, is uh, his leadership at Pataudry is the thing that stands out for in my memory. Are you looking forward, uh, Graham, to Mark Kerr giving you another get it right up you at some point today as he gave to you in the South Stand all those years ago? I don't know if he was specifically singling me out. I mean, I was not alone in expressing my displeasure at the way things were going. Um, We just need to get through it. It's irrelevant how good, bad or indifferent the performance is from Aberdeen. Just get through it uh, and move on to the next round. Um, Mark Kerr can shout get it right up up you to me all he wants as long as his team loses as they did that night <laughs> yeah which was the most like classic Mark Kerr thing I've ever seen um, a momentary instance of defiance in a team he captained to a 2-1 defeat on the evening anyway so great stuff Curzo um, Gav Graham's right is it to a certain extent you know, like the most important thing on Friday night is that we just simply get through the tie especially given what happened at this stage last season let's not talk about that I would like to think that no one needs a reminding of the dangers of the Scottish Cup more so than Aberdeen um, to come into the draw against the bottom placed side in the league uh, setup. You know, you can't really ask for anything better bar it being. Well, you could. You could ask for a team from two divisions below. 
But well, I mean that's that that's dangerous. That's where we get into dangerous territory. <laughs> uh, so obviously Barrett being from home, um, you know Clyde. I mean they picked up a little bit. That's a draw the weekend, and they beat Bonnie Rigros the weekend before or the game before. So McCall's come in. He's obviously an experienced manager. That's um, done a wee bit of damage to us in the past, but yeah, I like to think that we've got far too much in the way of quality to go ahead and for them to cause any major concern. But again, we are the team that knows better than anything else. The way you can't take anything for granted in the Scottish Cups. So have to go there, be professional, play our best players, preferably, not leave them on the bench like a certain James Michael did, and just get the job done and move into the next round of the Scottish Cup. What do you um, what do you expect to see on 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 Friday? Do you think, and what do you want to see? I mean, does Robson decide that this is the time to introduce some fringe players or? If he does, does, he, does, he can his... get right to fuck. <laughs> or does he go with what you would recognise as being a, to all intents and purposes, a starting 11, a first team 11? Yeah, for me, you do what Goodwin should have done last season. Play your best players, get the game wrapped up as quickly as possible, and then you can start thinking about bringing in some fringe players, get some guys some minutes, get uh, get Pappy up to speed if you want. Uh, but yeah, for me... You know, the four two three one setup, I'd play more or less the same team that played Ross County, uh, all being available, get the job done, get a couple of goals, take it away from them, and then that's the moment where you start thinking about your fringe players. Graham, are you are you similarly minded? Uh, absolutely. Your your best available team with the hope that that is enough to blow them blow them away, get that, you know, feel like you're job done by the sort of, I don't know, hour mark, a few goals ahead, and then you can start giving guys um, some minutes. I, don't, I just don't think you can approach that game any other way because if he if he rolls the dice and he mixes up the squad and it doesn't work for him, it's just another step towards the exit. I, I can't imagine people... I, I just don't see... I understand you've got a squad and you've got to use it, and we've all been saying... And probably a lot of fans saying, like, you know, what's the point of getting some of these guys and not playing them? I just don't think that's the time to take the risk, personally. On that note, then, um, predictions for, for Friday evening. Uh, do the Dons make their way into the fifth round uh, for the first time in a couple of years? Which <laughs> seems really depressing to say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, 3 1 Aberdeen. Three we will Aberdeen. go a goal up, they will get a goal back. We'll all start hitting the panic buttons, crack open each other's skulls and feast on the goo inside, and then Boyamiovsky will calm it down and we'll win 3-1. I jokingly said that, but when we got beat by Motherwell, that was at the fourth round stage, wasn't it? Was that the, the first? It was the earliest possible, uh, yeah, earliest possible opportunity. Yeah, okay, so it is actually, It's yeah, it'll be, yeah, fucking hell. It is two seasons since we've progressed past the first round, so there we go. Uh, or was it, cause that was February 12th, was it? I think we might have beaten someone first. I'm not sure if we did. I'm not going to have to have a look at this now. Graham, while I'm doing that, um, your predictions? No, we beat Annan. Or Dunbarton or something like that. Because Jet misses the uh, open goal from about three yards. Uh, Edinburgh City. That's the one. You're right. You're right. There we go. Sorry. So we did progress through. Anyway, never mind. Move on. Graham, predictions, please. Clyde Zip. Aberdeen four. I'm going, going for I'm it. Going balls out. The, the dons are away to really use up all our shots by the f- whatever that is, nineteenth of January. 
It's going to be a dry <laughs> remainder stuff. of January in the league. <laughs> the Dons are doing dry January. <laughs> in front of goal, yes, after the 19th. Excellent, lovely stuff. Right, um, I'm going to go Clyde Nell, Aberdeen to a thoroughly professional job done. Um, and yeah, in the next round we go and we'll see what happens from there. Um, that'll do us, I think, eh? Yep, it's been fun. Excellent, lovely stuff. Um, that wraps up this week's episode of the APZ FP. Thanks for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow whatever you're doing your podcast, bit of choice. Join us next time out for episode 149, where I don't think, Graham, you or I will be here. So Gav is going to be joined by a mystery guest host for the evening to look back on um, what will have been, hopefully, a, a victory in the Scottish Cup fourth round against Clyde, and then to preview the midweek game at McDermott Park against St Johnston. We look forward to seeing you then. Stand free. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds.